<laughs> I want you. Okay, hold on. I want you to imagine you've opened your fortune cookie. Fill your cake stand with art, house with dirt, and your birthday cards with hair. It's the new Bible. There. Know the system you're messing with before you mess with it. Know the system you're messing with before. You... Yes. That's it. Check. Done. That was the fastest one yet. Is it worth the wait? Let's just start. Yeah. Um, and I'll put it together. So hi, hi Michelle. Hello, Catherine. We've been doing this for 50 episodes. So, as you will hear in the future, it's actually been longer than 50 episodes because 50 we did episodes. the, the Foley Spolly special. So, but 50 episodes of regular traditional agreement have been brought to you by us over the very first episode was october 2nd 2020 oh and we're recording this on october 2nd oh we did not plan that so in our three year calendar anniversary and our 50th episode anniversary coincides right here intertwined i don't know what that makes me feel but it makes me feel makes me feel like yeah I love that. I feel very, I think I do. I feel accomplished. Okay. Um, mm. Happy 50th, Michelle. I'm really <laughs> proud of us. So um, we have a grab bag. I guess it's a grab bag. It's just a special treat for us. Yeah. yeah it I would... really, really love. Yes. We have special guests on for the 50th with, with like a surprise that I know very little about and Michelle knows nothing, nothing. about. Nothing. I'm very excited. Well, we'll be the judges of whether you know something. Or oh, nothing. no. Oh, this is a bad day for me <laughs> to know things. We're calling this Wear Your Neck Brace. It's a trivia game. Okay. And some questions for Catherine. Some questions are for Michelle. But the entire podcast audience can play along. So, Michelle, you ready for the first question? Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Michelle, what was Catherine's favorite childhood meal at your house? Oh, toast. Toast and? (laughs) Uh, Toast and butter. 
Ding, 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 ding. Okay. Correct. I'm not sure. White would bread. that be? Would that be like rye bread toast? No, definitely not. It was definitely white, off-brand, like generic Wonder Bread bread. Ding, ding. <laughs> Curiosity loaf. <laughs> Number two for Catherine. What caused Michelle to exclaim, "Ew! Why? What? Yikes!" I'm glad you have to answer this. I know. I have many things. Can I give you multiple Um, choice? Yes, multiple choice. Please, please. A, the euthanasia roller coaster. B, circle jerk the play. C, (laughs) dead rats and happiness. Or D, reality dating shows that have a mother-son romance and challenges. I know. I thought the multiple choice would make it easy. You you did good with that multiple choice. I'm gonna say things from your show. I'm gonna say D. I'm gonna say the the Milf Island groove show. If not, it it earned it. Yeah. And my uh, repetition of her exclamations were not as vocal as hers was at the time. That's true. Okay, this is a toss-up. See who's going to get the first response correct. You ready? Hands on buzzers. If Michelle and Catherine stood in front of a mirror, what would they see? Do, 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 do. Do, do, do. (laughs) Do, do, do. Is this a reference to when we think we're the same person? Yes, they okay. would see first. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Yay. Yay. Good job, Michelle. What happens if the same person stands in front of a mirror together? Does it cancel out? Do we? Uh, yeah. Right. yeah. They are the same person. That's right. I got confused because the only thing with looking at a mirror I could remember was the weird thing I brought in about people living behind people's bathroom Oh, I remember that one. And so that would have explain you why, what, yikes. Yeah. Yeah. My response was like an intruder. (laughs) Would we see intruders? For four for Michelle. When will your friend die? Oh, I don't remember. (laughs) I almost listened to that episode today. Um, It was like... It was after her birthday. She had a very specific plan to survive certain months. <laughs> was it like May of 2067? I'm just throwing some stuff out. I may have uh, switched this around, but I have down September 21st, 2054. That sounds right. I think I just make yeah. you live longer than you make you live. I think I think that happened in the episode want- too. I was like, no, I refuse to accept. It's too soon. Too soon. <laughs> no, and that makes to- sense because it's after. It's enough time after like going to the beach that they wouldn't miss me at the beach, and you would get over it before Thanksgiving. So I would think of me fondly. The beginning of summer, but it's the end yeah. of summer. But before the yeah. holidays kick in. She's very, very considerate in her death date. You're mm-hmm. welcome, everyone. You're <laughs> overthinking this. <laughs> and turnabout is fair play. Mm. Oh, when will your wow. friend die? When will your friend die? When will your <laughs> when will friend... My friend die? 
think Michelle gave herself longer and did not have as much reasoning. I think you just vibed it out, right? Michelle yeah, yeah, like, which I don't. Here it is. I'm going to say Michelle's going to say um, Jul- August, September. I'm going to go with you guessing September and have that be a tell. I'm going to say September 2067. Ooh, very, very close. August 9th of 2066. Stay tuned, listeners. We'll catch you back up yes. in 2066. <laughs> because if we're still around, this podcast will still be going. We'll be here. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm holding you to it. All right. Now we have some general knowledge questions for those listeners who truly listen closely. So here it is. And I'll, I'll give you choices. The Bruce of Effect refers to a the in urge to binge watch all of Bruce Lee's movies once you've seen one. <laughs> B the spontaneous abortion effect that occurs among many species in the wild when a new dominant male enters the group. C the rise of more raunchy humor after Lenny Bruce became popular in the late fifties. <laughs> or D the desire to return yearly to Northern Ontario's Bruce Peninsula. Oh my gosh, it's B. It's B, B is right? correct. That's correct. Very good. The spontaneous abortion effect. Though who among us that. hasn't wanted to binge watch all of Bruce Lee's movies? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Very good. You got it. All right. Moving on. <clears throat> Catherine and Michelle met in person at Queenie's in North Carolina to record an episode of Angrement. One of their fortune cookies in that podcast was A, the placebo effect should guide your work day. <laughs> B, an orange in the Monday is worth one in the forehead. C, a shot of whiskey on Tuesday makes Tuesday better. <laughs> or D, an orange a day causes cancer later. I think it's B. Yeah. Yes, it is. Orange <laughs> in the Monday is worth one in the forehead. That's one of yours that leaves me scratching my head. I'm still thinking about. It. Head on, apply directly to the forehead. Apply right? Directly to the forehead. Right. <laughs> All right. Another multiple choice. The inaugural podcast of Angreement, Peanuts, Puzzles, and Plagues, came about because a it allowed Catherine and Michelle to walk and talk virtually. B, it allowed Catherine and Michelle to vent their COVID world anger. C, Michelle and Catherine always look like they're fighting in public, so virtual was better. Or D, because because of Mrs. Piney. It's all of the above. All of the above. Yes. (laughs) Okay. In the Angreement podcast, Toothpaste Trips primates we learn a nike shoes include include a drop of blood toothpaste contains small amounts of cocaine flights to australia have lower cabin pressure or d rapper little nas x is gay is it a A. d very good a and d d D was just a throw in at the end Now we're digging deep, deep dive. 
the fortune cookie. I'm impressed with us so far, Michelle. Yeah, we're, we're well, except for when you're going to die, you're fine. Fortune cookie, let it shine because your responsibility wraps up which of the two following things? A, capitalistic celebrities playing quiplash. B, algorithmic violence. C, a history of bonding over grave robbing. robbing or D, vampires did not have fangs until the 1950s. Which two? And all of these are actual episodes. Yeah, I remember all the, can you, can you repeat I the, can you repeat the fortune sure. cookie? Let it shine because it's your responsibility. Is it C? There's two of them, C and. Oh, there's two. We have to choose two, two from two that are combined with Let It Shine because oh. it's your responsibility. There's the capitalistic celebrities, the algorithmic violence, the bonding over grave, grave robbing, and vampires with no fangs. It's grave robbing, I think, is one. I also I, forgot about the vampires with no fangs. Yeah, yeah, really I did too. That there was the memories. That was a great one. Um, algorithmic violence? One. You got it. Okay. I will give it because oh, it is vampires did not have fangs. Those were the two. Okay. Vampires. I was wrong. Michelle gets two points. <laughs> okay. I was so sure about the grave robbing too, and that was not right. I like this one, so we'll do it again. Fortune cookie mixed expectations wraps up which of the following two things? A, Christmas movies. B, vomit smelling ancient trees. C, rando nodding, or D, dealing with whale death. I just, again, I feel very confident, but since I was so confident on the last one, I think it is the, the vomit trees. And the one. whales. You're half right. Half, which, which half? A, Christmas movies, and D, dealing, dealing with whale I, death. The exploding whale carcasses. How fondly do not go with my confident confident feelings okay the fortune cookie take maybe wraps up <laughs> which of the following two things a st louis ice cream politics and sport fields b food lab for smart people c the b real app or d butts in art I got to say, though, we were always like, oh, wow, we did that one so fast. We're so good at fortune cookies. And I'm hearing some of these fortune cookies put back at us. And I'm like, do we think these are good because we have been talking for three hours straight late into the night? And they're actually really And having a child. Hearing them in the light of day. Cake maybe gave us one of my favorite when we put them into an AI image generator, though. Like, Cake maybe was a really fun one because it kicked out, like, melt like it was i don't i don't know what the ai was doing with it but it was fascinating it was All fascinating. Right. that's another really good though if we ever like do uh grab bag rewards which i think you guys both get for this yeah um, amazing yeah, we can send you some some Michelle ai generated art made a whole oh. calendar and every month had an ai generated artwork that was a fortune cookie so i want a fungible token <laughs> We should turn our fortune cookies into NFTs, non-fortune cookie tokens. Non-fortune cookie tokens. All right. Are there two of these or only one for this one? There's two of them. Two again. I think one of them is butts and art. 
Yeah, there's always butts in art. There's always butts in art. So many of them. That's correct. So much. So much. Yeah. yeah. So you have either St. Louis Ice Cream, Food Lab for Smart People, or the Be Real app. Be Real. Correct. Ding, 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 ding. Very exciting. Okay, this is for both of you. Name your favorite real or imagined agreement merch. Bonus points this if you is, actually mentioned it during an episode. This is easy. My favorite merch, real, is merch you made, which is my triple I sweatshirt. Mine as well, yes. I am so excited that I might get to wear it this week because it should eventually stop being 90 in October. It's it's <laughs> waiting for me by my door because I believe that it's going to be cool enough to wear it soon. Okay, this one's for Catherine. Which dancer did his own dance foley for movies? Gene Kelly? Very good. Ding, 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 ding. I forgot about that. Hmm? And that is why the 50th anniversary is actually a lie. Because there are 58 episodes. Oh, because all the foley's. Yeah. For Michelle. Although all of those should count as like three. Oh my gosh. The editing for those, I know some of it doesn't sound great, but that would take me, oh, every, editing the podcast after that is very easy. I learned so much and it took forever. Interestingly enough, I was looking through our um, SoundCloud stats and like episode five of Foley's Follies is our most listened to of all our podcasts. (laughs) Skip to five. You wouldn't know who anybody is. And no, for good it'd be very confusing. Um, okay, this one is for Michelle. Catherine used audio and video cassette tapes, a husband, and shoes on her hands and feet to make what sound? Oh, walking on leaves? Very good. Good job. Walking through a leafy forest. Okay, oh, man. Hand. This is making, I liked Foley's Follies a lot. This is making me wanted to do a part two, but oh, it's too much. Not not so much. (laughs) Not right now. Hey, for Catherine, what celebrities follow Michelle's parenting style? Good ones. Um, There's no multiple words. Oh, no. I said good ones. But yes, good and weird. (laughs) What did, what was the hint? No, Michelle was also wondering. Me too. I was I'm like, Michelle, do you? I feel much I better. I think I remember. I think I remember this again. reference. I'm going to take a guess if you do, if you if you pass. Yeah, I'm going to say the only thing I can think of is like Will and Will and Jaden Smith, and that's not. Bing, 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 that's bing, 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 bing. Is that's that it? Oh my gosh! I thought that was a sigh up of my own mind because one second. Sorry, everyone. I have. I have just props. props as always. She brings in a lot of props for our audio only audience. I went record shopping over the weekend and I found, so I thought that the Will Smith and Jaden Smith thing was a sigh up of my own brain because I went record shopping and I found this treasure. What? Will Smith, just the two of us. And it's just that. And there's a, there's a Korean version there's an instrumental version. It's just Will Smith, just the two of us again and again and again. And that's what I've been listening to. So I thought thinking about Will Smith was just that. Do you remember when we had the mixtape that was just different versions of Paint It Black? 
Yes. <laughs> there are so many versions of it. That explains. So That's much. great. Yes. And here's the final bonus question. Ooh. Why is this game called Wear Your Neck Brace? I knew that was coming. Why is it called Wear Your Neck Brace? We've talked about, like, as I'm trying to just think about things we've talked about, like, we talked about the, what's the the bar that's on the trucks because you'll go underneath of it. That's like collision oh, the related. James, the Mansfield bar. Yeah, the Mansfield bar. And we coasters. talked about the, the, you know, homicidal um, roller coaster. <laughs> we, we talk about things that would require you to maybe have a neck brace pretty often. Um, I'm assuming it's a fortune cookie, but. I don't think I know this one. No. Put you out of your misery. Yes. Let us know. Because in the second episode of Angry Myth, you all came up with the fortune cookie, wear your neck brace, and you giggled saying, in several years, we'll both be wondering, what the heck is wear your <laughs> neck brace? And here we are. <laughs> we were very prescient. <laughs> prescient or do you? We know what we won't remember. We're like, nope, that one's not sticking. I feel it falling away as we speak. <laughs> yeah. Well, you did pretty well. You did pretty well on your 50th anniversary quiz, but the true joy is just listening to you two. We enjoy you very much. Yes. Aw, thank you. Thank it you, is listeners. Like the favorite, even when I'm like, oh, I don't have time. I'm tired. I, why am I doing this tonight? I should postpone it. I come on and I just leave feeling happy and energized. And it's my favorite part of my fortnight. Just listening to your laughs. Make my day. Yay. Yeah, yes. So much. Yes, Sorry, so much. I can't get over him still. <laughs> right. Happy fifth. Yeah. Thank you so Thank much, you guys. You. This was, was so wonderful. great. I love the quiz. Thank you. It makes and I'm glad that we got some of them right because I was a little, I was like, oh no, I'm not. I know that'll be embarrassing, <laughs> and I I hope that our listeners playing along at home got some right as well. Yeah, how did you do compared to us? Yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. That was so Aww. fun. That was so wonderful. Sweet. That was really fun. <laughs> I absolutely loved our guests and the time they put into making that quiz for us. It was wonderful. I hope that you all got to play along. Thank you. Thank you was... so much. Yes. Thank that you. made me feel even more accomplished. Yeah. We've done 50 consistent episodes and I am proud of us. So we did not know that was happening. So that's wonderful because instead of the usual format where we each bring each other three things, we are going to choose our favorite moment of angry men not moment but like our thing we brought in and then we're going to choose our favorite moment of the other persons so there'll be four things total i'll have my favorite michelle will have her favorite Catherine moment i'll have my favorite michelle moment michelle will have her favorite four things yeah i had a really hard time picking my favorite one for you was no contest i knew it as soon as you suggested it but my favorite <laughs> of my own was tough i don't know if it really is my favorite but it's i picked tough. it so 
That's funny because my favorite for me was also very fast. I wonder if it's the same one. I hope it is because it's too long. Um, It might be then. (laughs) I peaked. That was my peak. Yep. And it makes me, I really hoped, I was really hoping we would choose something similar as the same. And I am stoked. I'm not, I am stoked I'm, about I'm not positive that we did, but um, it is, as, as soon as you came up with this concept for our 50th episode, I was like, well, I know what I'm picking for Catherine. Like, got it. I know what it is. All right. Um, I'm just going to, I'm going to go to it and I'm just going to play it. Is that okay? Okay. It's, is it? It, it, it is. Okay. I, um. <laughs> I yeah I went through and tried to edit all three parts into one part because I thought I was gonna have to play it but I don't have to (laughs) all right I'm gonna play this for you hi guys editing Catherine here and since Michelle and Catherine did both choose the same favorite Catherine thing you are now in for a treat of the if you do not recall three part snowman resurrection trilogy i have attempted to edit this down it did happen over three different episodes enjoy that's not my weird thing i mean it is kind of weird it was really fun it snowed a lot here in colorado and woke up this morning and my husband said let's build a snowman and it was really, really fun. Can't remember the last time I made a snowman. And it was just a fun thing to do in the afternoon. But it made me think about snowmen. Are snowmen weird inherently? I mean, I'm trying to think, are snowmen weird? I it's, it's, it's kind of weird how universal it is, right? That it's just like, oh, it's snowed. Now we all have to go make this particular kind of sculpture, right? Right. <laughs> The earliest documentation of a snowman is how we know. We don't know how old snowmen are. Right. So like, this is kind of like, what are we counting as a snow? Like, are there parameters? Like, does it just have to be a humanoid sculpture made out of snow? Or does it have to be like the three balls of snow with items in the face? I'm glad you asked that, Michelle, because actually I was researching this. Americans, or at least the only nation that make the three ball snowman in England and a lot of other places across Europe, it is a torso, big long torso, and then a ball head. Okay. So, like, there's two, not three forms that make the snowman. So, yeah, we have the three balls, boop, boop, boop. But in the UK, it's more of a long mound and arms, and then a head. The arms are also made of snow? Yeah, usually, Mm. not twigs. The, at least as far as academic snowman research goes, um, it is 1380. Okay, okay. And it is from a medieval book of hours that was found in the hague i encourage everyone to find that it's kind of horrific um but then i found a second image um this is just on wikipedia and i encourage you to see it from 1511 in another book of hours and this is the british version with a head and a more oblong body 
and it's everyone, it's kind of a woodcut block um, and people are dancing around a snowman. And I love this image, it's so fun that like in 1511, people would gather around snowmen and dance. Um, but I learned that this image is actually a drawing of something called the miracle of 1511, which is very weird. Here's my weird thing. I got this from Atlas Obscura and I'm gonna kind of just read from that. And so they say um, one particularly interesting moment in the canon of snow art was during the middle ages when things were made with snow to make a statement. In some places there were traditions among artists to populate cities with snowmen after a heavy snowfall. In a time when famine, plague, sickness, and conflict were not uncommon, snow often brought winter festivals and other officially endorsed morale boosters, which provided some moments of relief and levity to people who might otherwise be surviving on grass or dropping dead. The thinking was that the public could blow off steam for a week or two with excessive drinking and joking and public art displays, but in a supervised way, right? This is very like um, theories of the carnivalesque. Yeah, where people yeah. have to let their inner whatever out. But only when know. we tell them, not just when all we the tell time. them. Exactly. So um, they would have these snow festivals because, you know, it's winter and that's rough and people are sad. And especially during times like in 1511, when the plague is happening in full throttle. So they had um, this snow festival in Brussels in 1511. And it was a very brutal winter. It was called the winter of death. Temperatures were excessively cold for an excessively long time. And there was a big bout of plague happening. Is Catherine drawing parallels? Mm. Maybe, maybe some subtle ones. So they declared a winter festival to distract everyone, right? People are starving. People are freezing to death. Um, there is a plague happening. And so they said, let's have a winter festival. Let's make some snowmen so you forget who's to blame for this and you can be happy. What actually happened was the problems were just too big and it turned into a like a class warfare, but through snowmen. So they got the artist out to like make the pretty snowmen. People of different economic positions built their own snowmen, started destroying those other state sanctioned snowmen. And basically the miracle, I don't know why it's called the miracle of 1511, but they ultimately destroyed a lot of the snowmen and built their own snowmen, which most of them, there are hundreds and hundreds of snowmen, most of which were highly pornographic or scatological. Right now, especially as we record this podcast, um, especially considering what's happening with the electrical grid in Texas and how people are dying and there is a plague happening, a pandemic, that um, I don't know what I'm at. I don't think I'm advocating for anything. I am drawing parallels. And I did make a snowman today, like something inside of me. I haven't made a snowman in ages. Needed a festival, you had to let it out. And a lot of research for a weird thing. I'm now a little nervous about what your research thing is. Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a cop out in a way. I, I can't help it. I'm building my snowman. I'm like, what's the history of snowmen? Why, why am I doing this? Where is this compulsion coming from? And 
love it. Thank you. Ironically enough, I am also for a brief period of time going to talk about onomatopoeic animal sounds, Michelle. What? Yeah. We, we, I promise you, we did not plan this. We didn't. Um, we kind <laughs> of, we a little bit did plan this research topic. I'll, I'll, I'll get into why. Oh, oh, I'm so excited. Do I get to know the answer? Is there an answer? There's not an answer. Michelle, life's best questions and best mysteries are often unsolved. I need it. I'm this. Let's get into it. There has to be an answer. Okay. So last week I talked about, I'm going to get my notes out because I have notes. There better be notes. I have JSTOR articles. I had to get. I want to see some highlights. I want to know that we. I had to get my institutional (laughs) access to JSTOR out, which I don't use often enough anymore. Okay. (laughs) So last week I talked to you all about snowmen a lot. And I talked about the miracle of 1511. And one of the ways we know how old snowmen are, are images of them. There was an image I was referring to, which was a woodcut from a book that had from 1511, from the miracle of 1511, in which people are holding hands, dancing around a snowman. And I mentioned that image, but I failed to mention that it had an inscription on it. Boy, and did so, it. Boy, did it. <laughs> and I left that out, but then I told Michelle afterwards. And, she and I, like, I pulled oh. it up on Wikipedia because I had to look at it for myself. Looked at it. It's an amazing image. If, and again, if you Wikipedia snowman, it's there. And it's a great image. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dissect this image because I can't sleep. I, I'm obsessed with this now and there are no answers. So... What is it? What is this inscription that drove Michelle and I crazy? The inscription around this marvelous image, right? People are holding hands. It's really cool. It says, it's been der Schnuffman, goob, goob, jagoob. What does that mean? I first off put it into Google Translate and they told me that it's Norwegian or Dutch. I speak enough German, which is tangentially related to already know that's not telling us much, but basically it's been der Schnurman, goob, translates to it's the snowman. Goob, That's not translatable. The image is fascinating because A, it has hockey sticks in it. And fun fact, we know from other paintings and art historical images, like um, paintings called like The Huntsman by Peter Bruegel that depicts something called the Little Ice Age during and around this time period. Part of the reason this was such a horrific winter was the world was going through in Europe, a mini ice age and it was colder. And so um, Peter Bruegel, the painter depicts this sometimes and in his paintings, he shows people playing hockey. So we know hockey existed. It's cool to see hockey sticks, but we know that. There's also in the corner of this image, a man kneeling down. So everyone's holding hands over here, but over here in the corner, there's a man kneeling down, looking very mystical, and he's appearing to be chanting or praying 
or summoning some wild looking magic stars. He's just like kneeling before these spiraling stars, like going, ah, oh, is this a spell for summoning snowmen, Michelle? Was the miracle, why, people often are like, why was it called the miracle of 1511? Was the miracle that the snowmen came to life and through our prudish remembrance of history, we just think they were porno snowmen, but actually they all came to life because of a magic spell and the words, goo goo gajoob, unlock the life and gift of life to snowmen? Maybe. Maybe, maybe. Michelle's gonna need more research. <laughs> visual analysis so it's a weird image like something magical is happening in the corner and we have it's the snowman untranslatable nonsense well but in that untranslatable nonsense is a famous line from untranslatable nonsense in the Beatles song which for context for my fascination here you need to know that Catherine and I when we were like like I don't know I was probably like 12 and you were probably like 13 or 14 right that we fell deep into the uh Paul is dead Beatles theory and um that song is the I am the walrus which was really into the like that was I think probably the cornerstone of the like Paul is dead theory yeah, right? we owned a book we owned a book that we shared back and forth called the walrus is Paul yeah which had all the conspiracy theories about how Paul McCartney died and they tried to cover up his death yeah we spent entire afternoons looking at like the album covers and like they were like well this was the alternate album cover and they just pasted all these over and this is look at Paul looking up from his coffin and Paul's the barefoot one on Abbey Road because he's the corpse and like I mean it was just it was way 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 down the rabbit hole um but like obviously that song the goo goo gajoob like they they had to have gotten that from wherever this is from. Like there's yes. like, it's too similar. It's goo, too, I mean, yeah. Goo 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 goo. I am the Eggman. They're the Eggman. I am the walrus. Goo 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 goo. It's the snowman. Goo goo goo. Is it a, is it a resurrection spell? Summoning, resurrecting Paul McCartney? Like they raised the snowman? to give him life after he died, Michelle? <laughs> is Goob Goob Kajoob a powerful resurrection? Is that, what, is that what JSTOR said? No. <laughs> <laughs> I could find no academic-based evidence outside of my own mind. And I am an academic. You are an academic. <laughs> that, that would support that this is a magical spell lost to time in history. But I knew you were going to say that. So the first spot I went is like, what is this Beatles song? I mean, early days of technology, your house had the hookup on some good tech to where we didn't have to play records backwards. We fed them into the computer and played the audio files backwards. So according to Beatles lore, this is lore. Goob goob gajoob are the last words, and you found this really quickly, are the last words uttered by Humpty Dumpty before his fall. Um, It was a very popular notion among the conspiracy theorists who were convinced that Paul McCartney had died in a mysterious accident and were looking for clues for his demise in Beatle lyrics, right? So, oh, right before he dies, he says this. Is that it? Um, There is nowhere, I did extensive research 
into Humpty Dumpty, which I will get into, never has he uttered those words that I could find in my research. Also Humpty Dumpty that could be related to the song and that lore could be related to the Beatles song. Humpty Dumpty as a figure doesn't come into the world until the late 18th, early 19th century. And when was this? Cannot be related. This woodcut's from 1511. Okay. So Humpty Dumpty comes 300 years later. Yeah. So if so anything, if Humpty Dumpty said it, he was trying to get it from this. Yeah, yeah. So um, Lennon has said, John Lennon, who wrote I Am the Walrus, has just said a million things about it. He Probably has just- said conflating things. What I found to be most convincing was when he was finished writing it, he said, there, that will fuck with them. Let them figure out this. Yeah, not because at this point, like they, they were having fun with the people who were in the fall is dead i mean it was a definitely a back and forth between the fans and the beatles by that point exactly but he i mean he obviously got that from somewhere it was baiting the conspiracy theorists there's so much nonsense in the song like it's not goo 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 which shows up in a 1511 woodcut with mystical pornographic snowmen basically John Lennon is an unreliable narrator, but he says he did write it to confound listeners and um, he was partly inspired by two LSD trips and Lewis Carroll's poem, The Walrus and the Carpenter. Okay. Which is a creepy. So The Walrus, I Am the Walrus, is from the Lewis Carroll poem, The Walrus and the Carpenter. Isn't that the one where they like eat the oysters? Am I remembering this right? Yes. Okay. The Eggman is Humpty Humpty Dumpty. Dumpty. Also who shows up in Lewis Carroll. Guess who spent her week reading all of that? (laughs) All of it. I very much appreciate your dedication. I tried, Michelle. So I read all of it, not just Alice in Wonderland, but also like through the looking glass, all of it. And while, um, Actually, the Humpty Dumpty part is very interesting. He talks about like onomatopoeias. He talks about like words that sound like other things but have different meanings. Does not say goo 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 joop at all. Um, either does the either does the walrus and the carpenter. That does not come up as a phrase. Here's another theory that it comes from James Joyce's Finnegan's Wake. I saw that. Please tell me you did not read all of Finnegan's Wake this week. Oh, I did. Well, to be fair, I glossed it in Google Books. I was going to say, because isn't Finnegan's Wake the one that Joyce famously said, like, it took me 30 years to write it. It should take you 30 years to read it. (laughs) That one was more a quick Google Books gloss. Okay. So, well, we can say I Am the Walrus is very much indebted to the language of Finnegan's Wake. John Lennon read it and loved it. Um, and it is very much indebted to Lewis Carroll for the characters of the walrus, the characters of the Eggman. No goob, goob, goob. The closest we can get in Finnegan's Wake, because I looked, he says at one point, goo goo goosh. And then another point says, Jubilee Jew. No, it's not the same. 
something. if if it wasn't so exact on the 1511 1511 do i have that right you're right 1511 1511 if it wasn't so exactly the same on the 1511 one as the beatles song i would accept that as like a middle between two points on the spectrum but they're okay. just they're the same they're the same they're the same they're the same again humpty dumpty's from the late 18th early 19th century the best i can tell humpty dumpty was not an egg to start. Humpty Dumpty was kind of a colloquialism for anyone who was a drunkard. Uh-huh. Fun fact. Um, and it might have something to do with the Dutch language. Right? This, this language we're looking at is either Netherlandish or Dutch or something. And so I found something by William Carey Richards, who quoted the poem Humpty Dumpty in 1843, commenting, quote, when we were five years old, the following parallel lines were propounded as a riddle. Humpty Dumpty, reader, is the Dutch or something else for an egg. And I was like, is this it? Is like there is like Humpty Dumpty in Dutch, goo 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 goo. No, um, very boring. It's I, mm. just like German. And so that guy didn't know what he's talking about. Dead end. So then, then. I read an article by Ben Zimmer, who writes for the New York Times, and he was also confounded by Goo Goo Gajoob in the Beatles song. He didn't know about the woodcut of 1511. And so he- I'm sure he listens to this podcast, so he will Yeah, know. yeah, Ben Zimmer, we're gonna get in there. So he, he was really interested in the fact that Mrs. Robinson and um, I'm the Walrus came out really close. And the Paul Simon, Simon and Garfunkel song, Mrs. Robinson says, cuckoo, kachoo. Oh, it does. Yeah. And there are rumors that Paul Simon heard goo liked it, but he misheard it as cuckoo, kachoo. That makes sense. And so that might be connected. This doesn't give us the answers we want. Um, he said, <laughs> he believes though that the goo and cuckoo, kachoo are indirectly influenced by the catchphrase of the 1930s cartoon bombshell, Betty Boop, who says, boop, boop, a doop. I don't buy it. Yeah, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. If it didn't, it's exact. I mean, it's this 1511 woodcutting that says it exactly. Yeah. Do you want to point out that the provenance of boop, boop, a doop is itself the subject of a lot of dispute? The singer, Helen Kane, claimed she was the originator of the phrase. And she sued Betty Boop's creator, Mac Fleischer, for damages in 1934. Um, she didn't win the lawsuit, but um, it was revealed that she had based her boop on the stylings of an African-American entertainer mm-hmm. named Baby Esther. Yeah, I've read about that, the Baby Esther. Yeah. Yeah, she was popular in Harlem's Cotton Club in the late 1920s. So just so you know, in, in a side note, <laughs> Because I researched the hell out of this for you, Michelle. And a side note, I did learn about the Betty Boop was a ripoff of um, that of that performer, Baby Esther. Where does this leave us? Where does this? Found a JSTOR article, an excellent, excellent, excellent JSTOR article. Um, and you know I'm going deep. It was in the New Literary History, which is actually a very good journal. That's a very renowned journal. It's legit. Um, this article convinced me about why I, I love medievalists. It's by Herman Plygy, 
and I'm, I know I'm mispronouncing that. It's P-L-E-J-I, Pleji. This article talks all about the miracle of 1511 and talks about where at least I think the woodcut comes from. Okay. So that is helpful. Before I tell you that, I do want to read my favorite line from this article and why I love medieval art historians. Quote, he's talking about um, someone who wrote about the miracle of 1511 and describing how he described all the snowmen that were built. My favorite line from it is, quote, he describes, for instance, a cow that delivers turds, farts, and stinking, despite the fact that on account of its snowy nature, it never eats or drinks. <laughs> the academic rigor to write that is, is beautiful. <laughs> but here's another line. Now remember, remember the snow cow that delivers turds, farts, and stinking. Delivers them. He, he delivers, Michelle, he delivers them. Second quote, proving my point with academic sources that you would accept as a teacher, I would accept as a teacher. Quote, anyway, what, I'm not doing this in a good order, but what he's writing about is a poem by a poet from Brussels named Jan Smeken. And Jan Smeken lived in Brussels where the miracle of 1511 happened. He wrote this poem about it. We have this huge- Is he a contemporary or is he writing about it like years late? Like in the moment. In the moment, okay. It. He wrote about it at the time. Okay. And so what this article is about is about this poem, about how it got translated and how it can better help us understand the miracle of 1511. And so he says he, being Jan Smeken who wrote the poem. And so my theory is, and from what I've assessed from this, is that this woodcut was an illustration for a print edition of the poem by Jan Smeken. Okay. Did I go and try to find the whole poem by Jan Smeken? Yes. Does it ever say goo 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 No. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Does I'm gonna read you this mean? quote from the article by Herman Pleiji. <laughs> He, and he being Jan Smeken, who described the scene, wrote about farting turd cows. Um, he wittily suggests all sorts of interactions between the snowmen who could not have been expected to move of their own volition. Or could they? Or could they, Michelle? Goo 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 Because they were alive. Goo 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 Jan Smeken's talking about the snowmen dancing with each other. Jan Smeken's talking about snow cows running around farting. Because they've been brought to life by some Because they have been brought to life by the incantation. Goo 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 jube. And it was such a horror in 1511 that no one dared let this knowledge out into the world. No one wrote it down again, except slipped out in this little wood pet because of Wikipedia which we can pre-link to all this digital data that we don't even know has ties to anything anymore. All these broken, broken links, links of flash. This is like a historical broken flash link of knowledge that will bring snowmen to life. John Lennon somehow learned about it and tried to bring Paul McCartney back to life in that song. Done. 
you know what? To be I'll- fair, though, to be fair, the reason I think it's in, if I, if you, if you pressed me, I think he, um, he talks, John Lennon talks a lot about how much he likes Finnegan's Wake. There's a lot of ladder words, and I don't quite remember what a ladder word is. There's a ton of ladder words and ladder phrases in that song. And people try to say, goo, 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 is that, or it's an onomatopoeia. At the end of the day, it might just be the sound a walrus makes. It might be John Lennon making the sound a walrus but makes. But then that- Were there Were there snowmen walruses in the Miracle of 1511? There's no way to link I am the walrus to the Miracle of 1511 unless it is about resurrection spell. All right. I'm gonna have I'm gonna have to allow it because I need there to be a link. It my brain knows there's a link. So if that's the best one we have right now. It's just too specific. It's goo 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 goo. It's too specific to also not have a meaning anywhere else, right? Like nowhere to be found. The only thing I could find is a jagoob is like this character in some stupid app game. Not fifteen eleven. Not even nineteen sixty. What, it's what, not it. It's not it. I'm or whenever good, the Beatles. I'm a good researcher, Michelle. Seventy-seven. I worked yes, really you are. hard. I am, I'm really proud of your work, and I'm really glad that you did it because I would have just stayed up for the rest of that night if I had kept going what? down that rabbit hole. I read so much Lewis Carroll. I read a lot of Finnegan's Wake. I that JSTOR article is great. I cannot recommend it highly enough. I cannot just, I just want to shout out medievalists because again, to say, despite the fact on account of its snowy nature, it never eats her drinks. drinks. On on account of its snowy nature, in case you've forgotten that we were talking about snow cow. But again, are we? (laughs) Or does it? (laughs) Or can't? Look at the image. Go look. Go to Wikipedia, people. Look at that image. What is the man in the corner kneeling and praying to stars doing? He is saying, goo, goo, gajoo. He is. Bring the snowman to life. And it does. And, then and they... that's why Paul McCartney is the... Oh, is Ringo Starr still alive? Um, I think Ringo's still alive, isn't he? I hope I don't inadvertently kill Ringo Starr. Every time I ask if a musician is still alive, they die within the month. I, I killed... I killed many musicians that way. I killed David Bowie, Michelle. Well, goo 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 jube that. My goodness. Goo 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 jube to Ringo Starr. Goo 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 jube to Ringo Starr. I did kill Leonard Cohen that way. I asked, is Leonard Cohen still alive? Three days later, dead. Um, but I, I'm going to say it here and now, Paul McCartney is going to outlive them all because he has been resurrected with the power of goo 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 jube. Oh, I'm, I sound that was like a, a journey. Maniac. <laughs> that was a journey. If anyone wants an insight into how I do my academic research, you just got it, man. <laughs> there, there's the process laid out it for takes you. 70% Wikipedia, 20% <laughs> JSTOR, 10% me going, oh, maybe this is the idea. I'm going to support it with all I have. Research. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> I'm raising my eyebrows at Michelle. So did you, did you raise the dead? Did I raise the dead? Um, well, Ringo Starr is still alive. I'm happy to report, but I'm not unconvinced. That's not because we chanted boob, goob, goob, Ringo Starr. I am going to say 
that I am ending my snowman trilogy here. I don't know if it's ended, but I'll let you, I'll let you believe that for now. Go ahead. That's really kind of you, Michelle, <laughs> to let me have that. <laughs> um, so I searched and I searched and I searched and I searched for answers and I got really frustrated, right? Goal for this episode was to look up resurrection histories of snowmen. Cause we are searching. If you'll like previously on agreement with Michelle and Catherine, I was tracking down this image of a snowman that said goob goob goob. That's so specific as we talked about how is there not a connection to the I am the Eggman, I'm the walrus song by the Beatles? We couldn't find one. So I said, my argument is that this is some ancient resurrection spell John Lennon did an acid trip and got a hold of through time and space. So I have to prove that now. And the easiest way to prove that is by studying the history of snowman resurrections. You would think the easiest snowman- way to prove it is to bring something back from the dead with your chanting, but fine. For academics, Michelle, I have to I have to study. <laughs> before action um i mean to be fair there was a very the biggest right we started this because it snowed here in colorado and i built a snowman every time we've recorded since it has snowed and we had the biggest snow we had like i feel like the universe is giving you an opportunity here and you're wasting it. it wasting it because i didn't even have to build my own snowman this time I was walking home from the gallery I work at sometimes and someone had built a snowman as big as their house. It was as big as their house. What an opportunity to try I don't, this out. Let's maybe start with smaller snowmen because. I think like 30 seconds ago, you were chiding me for not trying this out. Now I want to try it out. Now it's no, oh, 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 oh. On, on the snowman the size of a house? I don't know. It's, it's warm here. Now. It won't make it all the way to, to me. Go ahead. You're safe. You're <laughs> safe. It'll only terrorize up and down. If you're in, if you're in Colorado Springs, watch out. So um, no, all this to say, I have not actually tried the spell out. That will be my weird thing if it works. You'll hear it here first. I'm pretty or sure we'll hear news. it from the news first. No. You'll hear it. You'll know. Second. You'll be like, oh, there's a giant snowman that's come to life in Colorado Springs. All right, Catherine. Okay, so yeah, you won't hear here first, but you'll know why you're seeing it on the news. So um so we're looking for what Goo Goo means. I was surprised to learn. I thought that, you know, Frosty the snowman. That's that the top head on him to bring him to life, right? Like, isn't um, that the, the lore? Yeah. Don't you think it would be really prevalent? That was written around 1950, um, performed by Gene Autry, who also did Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And that song was only done trying to seek the um, popularity and fame and success of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer with another kind of wintry song. Other than that, I didn't find there's like a there's a children's story here or there, but this isn't like a, a tried and true fairy tale where snowmen come to life. You this can't isn't like trace like it back through the yeah. Thing. There are abominable snowmen, which I did a lot of research on, decided that's a dead end. That's more of a monster, mm-hmm. not even made of snow. It's more like a Yeti or a Bigfoot. We don't care. We don't care about them that there is a man named Bob Eckstein who was a cartoonist for the New Yorker. 
I am not alone in this snowman obsession. Bob Epstein quit his career as a political cartoonist to dedicate his life solely to studying snowmen. In fact, his biography says, I quit and I am now a historian of snowmen full time. This is what my life calling is. So I feel a little reassured as I go down this um, rabbit hole, as it draws me in, that I'm not the first. Um, Bob Eckstein wrote a book called The History of the Snowman and got obsessed with them after hearing about the miracle of 1511, just like me. So I'm going to kind of leave it. I'm not leaving it there yet, but I will say, if you want to know more about snowmen, that book is very, very extensive and very good. And um, I did learn, and I have to say this as a disclaimer, that I am very sorry about that I missed. And I think I mentioned this really, really early on, maybe our first podcast when I was talking about bubonic plague, that I mentioned it to you and I told you to go research it yourself. I didn't want to talk about it. It was too heavy. That um, during certain plagues, especially in the 1500s in France, they blamed it. They scapegoated certain populations. A lot of times they blamed the plague on Jewish people and said they were poisoning well water and burned them. It was horrific. And there are you look at medieval manuscripts, and oftentimes, especially in the 14th century, they're horrifically anti-Semitic. And there's this sickness, there's this plague, and they find a scapegoat, which again, I'm going to say, scapegoating entire populations of people for illnesses is certainly happening right now, and it's a problem. Why does this have to do with snowmen, Catherine? The very, this is not my goob goob gajoob image. But the very, very first image when I said, hey, how old do we think snowmen are? Snowmen's. Snowmen are, we know, because we have this medieval manuscript image. That's an anti-Semitic image. I learned from Bob Eckstein. Like these other medieval manuscripts where they're blaming plague on Jewish people, the very first image of a snowman we have is from one of these anti-Semitic manuscripts. And we know that because um, it's a snowman. And when you look at it, I think I laughed and said, oh, he looks sad. It's a sad, weird snowman. The snowman's in front of a fire and they're burning the snowman. And I didn't know this. Um, my medieval symbolism isn't up to date. He's wearing a, a hat, a kind of hat. It's, it's not a yarmulke. Um, it's a hat that at the time in 14th century France was associated with Jewish people. So they put a little hat on this snowman and they're burning him as an effigy of someone who's Jewish. And what does this have to do with this? The passage of the medieval manuscript is about the crucifixion of Christ. The first snowman we can find in a written context is illustrating the crucifixion of Christ. So I was going to like laugh about this and be like, well, Christ was resurrected. So it's a resurrection fell. But then I learned it was anti-Semitic and I just wanted to like have a disclaimer. Yeah. And say, um, so the very first snowman is an anti-Semitic snowman. So I'm bringing the conversation down again. That has nothing to do with Gugugugugub snowman, which is from the miracle of 1511. And so my research ends 
the trilogy ends here. Michelle is already saying, no, it doesn't, but I'm going to try to make it end. Um, I learned this is as close as I can get. I didn't get anywhere with Snowman Resurrection. I didn't get anywhere with the oldest snowman, but I did learn this fun snowman fact about Switzerland and snowmen, which is in Zurich for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, there's a festival called the Festival of Six Saluten, which is the festival of six bells. And um, hundreds of years ago, there was a city ordinance that regulated the length of the working day. And this is again around the medieval era. And during the winter, the workday in all workshops was to last as, there, as long as there was daylight. But during the summer, following the vernal equinox, that was longer. So they didn't wanna work until the sun went down. And so the law proclaimed that the work must cease when the church bells tolled at six o'clock. So to celebrate that change was the Festival of Six Bells, changing to summer working hours. And so um, to mark the beginning of the season, people had a festival. How would you celebrate that festival? To celebrate the vernal equinox? There's a lot of things you could do. Um, what they do in Switzerland and Zurich is the Berg, Berg? It's a, called a berg, and it's B-O-O-G. The berg is a snowman stuffed with straw, cotton, and dynamite. And on the third Monday in April, which is this equinox, after being paraded through town, the berg is set aflame. And the faster its head explodes, the better the warm weather to come. And it's backwards is goob. Goob, right? It's a backwards goob. According to tradition, the quicker the boog explodes, the better summer. This is like a snowman meets wicker man meets groundhog day thing. Right, groundhog, if it sees its shadow, mm -hmm. it's more yeah, winter. Yeah, yeah. This is the, the faster the head explodes the better weather we will get sooner. Ran it through Google Translate, right? What does Berg mean? If it's goob backwards, Berg from Swedish is Berg in English. That's not helpful. It doesn't That's translate. Not helpful. It's untranslatable. But it made me laugh because here's, I didn't know that Google Translate, even if it's an untranslatable word, will change the accent and pronunciation. And I don't know about you, but this tickled me. This tickled me so much. So here it is in Swedish. Berg. One more time. Berg. Berg. But I've, as you know, I've been sitting here going, Berg. So it's Berg. And then the English. Berg. <laughs> Berg. Berg. I'm American and I say big. Big. <laughs> big. <laughs> goop, goop, um, goop. And it's it's goop backwards. And what did we do? What did we do with the Beatles albums? We played them backwards. We played them backwards. Okay. This feels important. It feels important. 
I feel like someone somewhere, maybe years from now, will listen to this podcast and have the answers for us. That by putting this out there, we're going to eventually get to the answers that I need on why that snowman. We need this. I'm missing something. I can't just go out and chant in front of my snowman. Yeah, it can't be that easy. I mean, there was like those spirally sun things in the corner that seemed important. Fireworks! Fireworks in the head. They were fireworks because they stuff his head with dynamite. Okay, I need some dynamite and then I need the words. I'm going to go to that giant snowman. Watch out. Watch out, people, three blocks down the road. You, from me. you know what is going to destroy this for you is your American accent because obviously you're going to be out there going, boog, when you're supposed to say that thing that I can't say. Boog. 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 <laughs> Not. Bye. I'm gonna practice. <laughs> but how do you say it backwards? Oh no. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna. Oh no. I have a lot of work to do. <laughs> this is. Gotta get my dynamite. You can see why that guy quit his job. I mean, this is obviously a full time endeavor. I, also, I felt it was worth it because I do think the fun fact that my research dug up that there is a Groundhog Day esque festival where we explode a snowman's head. We never would have gotten there. And in 2006, thieves smashed a window where they were housing the egg, and they stole him. They left a chocolate Easter bunny and a hammer and sickle emblem in the place where they stole the egg from. And it was an extremist group called Retaking the Streets on May Day. They sent a letter to the media responsibility for the theft saying that this tall snowman had quote had enough of putting its head on the line for capitalists so it became well, a little collection but the same person has been had at that point been making the egg for over 50 years and unbeknownst to the thieves he had made two backup Boregs. So you have to wonder, does he always make backup ones? Like, is he always just prepared for, like, maybe someone will come and steal them? I appreciate your dedication to this topic because you're getting us the answers that no one else will. The answers no one else wants. They I'm getting them. They just don't know they want them yet. They'll regret it when I have my snowman army. <laughs> You can hear the yeah, the three part. <laughs> All right. So that is my favorite that Catherine so, yeah, has ever that... brought to the show. Well, okay. So your order was great, but yeah, spoilers, especially since that is a three part log thing. Just everyone is that was also my favorite. That was my favorite that I've ever done. Because it was brilliant and wonderful and I think it just represents so much of what we're doing here in that it was absurd, right? This yes. absurd thing with this snowman that maybe we're enchanting them to bring them to life, like Frosty the snowman. Um, but it was also deeply, like you committed to the research. And even when we didn't have an answer, you still brought it forward. And I feel like that those things all together just really say something important about what we're doing here. It does. No, I agree. That was my favorite. I love doing absurdist, maybe stupid things very seriously. 
following them through. I have reconvinced myself that this is a spell to resurrect snowmen via dynamite and magic words. Absolutely. That's good argumentation on my part. I also like that it started as a weird thing. Move to a research thing. Mine, that's my turn. My favorite thing. This was super, super, super. I'm, I love that that was very easy. My thing was easy for us. I peaked. Because um, I also asked, I was asking my spouse, like, what should I do? What should be my favorite thing? And um, he immediately said, it's the snowman. Of course, yeah. it's the snowman. Yeah, I mean, it's just so. Yeah, I'm really, really happy with that. That makes me feel good. So if I, for you, you've brought in, I mean, to be perfectly honest, my first thought of my favorite thing was last episode. I thought that the jellyfish just broke me and delighted me. And then age hams I use and discuss every day. But I knew, I knew that I had to choose a research thing because that's just my favorite of what you do. I always learn stuff. I love when you read the scientific papers and then they're like, I have opinions on this experts. And I like that methodology a lot. So first of all, I am just going to go through honorable mentions because it was very hard for me and people can go listen to it. So here they are, not the ones. Honorable mentions include high school horseshoe hope episode. Um, And if anyone wants to go listen to that, listen to that an hour and 14 in. And that is where Michelle talks about hope punk. And that's one of my favorite episodes, period, because I like how we both are talking about hope and it intersects. We needed some hope. And I think the world needs some hope. So just, yeah. And I really loved those Hank Green books. Those were great that you introduced us to for that. Um, I really did love when you talked about armadillos. That was a weird thing, but um, I was obsessed with the armadillos and then and one of my all-time favorites was moon me mcdonald's 48 minutes in if anyone wants to go listen to that um when you talked about how we're most likely teaching reading wrong and the different ways of teaching reading and that was great but which that debate has exploded my favorite. have you seen like it's like a big thing now yeah that was very prescient um but my favorite that i chose because it combined Many things I love to combine your research. It combined a weird thing turning into a research thing. And uh, it had discussion of bodily parts and animal facts. So all of my favorite things. And that is an episode, if we want to find it now, pain, punctuation, penises. how do you know who knows what is because there are things she knows obviously that you're like i don't know what that is so why would you know others (laughs) right like how do you know which things you know so okay what is your let's do yeah what's which was a weird thing right so i'm going to start with the part that was a weird thing and then i will explain why i couldn't leave it as a weird thing and then then we're going to go for a little ride all right so um my weird thing initially was this article from the guardian about hummingbirds and they found that there is several female hummingbirds that as juveniles look like male hummingbirds and then as they get older the it's so here's a quote every female and male start out looking like the adult males then as they age about 20 percent of the females keep that plumage 
and then 80% shift onto the drab plumage that we're used to seeing in female hummingbirds. So normally in a lot of bird species, the males are very colorful and the females are very drab. And we have all these theories about why that is. They have to do with like evolution. And I remember being taught when I was a kid that it's like, because females have to hide to protect their babies and the males don't have to. And like, I, I don't know that any oh, that's of that- fun. That, that yeah. really will implant itself into your brain mm -hmm. and <laughs> yes, how you carry yourself to the world, huh? Just hide to protect your babies. Um, just make you yourself yourself. small. Take up as little room as possible. If you could you. fit in a teeny little bird's nest, great. Don't be very just quiet. Not a pee. Um, <laughs> get train your babies. Sorry. So, <laughs> oh man. It's generally believed that, you know, that ornamental flashy plumage in males has evolved as a function or competition for mates, right? That that like the, the flashier you are, the more yeah. that you'll get to spread your bird seed and have baby birds, right? Um, but in this case, most of the females were not retaining that colorful plumage when they were sexually mature. So the theory that they had anything to do with sexual attractiveness doesn't hold. So the theory that they think is that it the female, the juvenile birds are developing male characteristics to keep from being harassed by male hummingbirds. And then as they sexually mature, they get the more drab appearances so that they can then sexually reproduce with the male hummingbirds. But they have oh, wow. like, evolutionarily developed appearances of male hummingbirds to keep themselves from being harassed by other male hummingbirds. So that was just going to be my oh. weird thing. And I was just going to end it there. But no, my, don't. Brain, my brain was like, you listened to a podcast that was about birds and feathers and i was like when what and i could it, like there was just like this like like itching scratching sound i'm like no yeah. it was a podcast about birds and their feathers and it's important here and i was like no brain no we've already got our three things just leave it and and i, I couldn't and Drop so i said way too long like going through all of my old podcasts to be like was it this american life was it this was and all I could remember was birds and feathers and that it was a podcast. That's it. That's all I had. And I'm so, sure that would be great on Google. Bird feather podcast. Oh go. God. You should have seen. But but I found it. I'm very impressed and not surprised. It was from 2019. It was a Radio Lab episode called The Beauty Puzzle. So this is something I listened to two years ago. Um, I will send the link so you can have the entire thing. And they I love it when podcasts give me transcripts. So I got to reread the whole transcript to make sure I remembered the things. Cause once I saw it, I like it all started coming back to me. So this is a positively fascinating podcast that starts with the fact, Catherine, what percentage of birds do you think have penises? Oh, Not, not like of all birds, like of the males of the species. What percentage of birds do you think have penises? So what, so A, I guess um, I haven't thought much about it. And I am now learning that birds do have penises, which I just never thought about, but that makes sense. Um, and so the question isn't how many birds have penises, it's how many male birds what have What percentage penises. of bird species do the, oh. are there penises in that species? I, I feel trapped and I feel like my answer, if there wasn't a lead up would be a hundred percent. So, I, I mean, like, I, 
I hadn't put much thought into it, but I grew up on a farm and um, the birds that I most saw in reproduction were ducks and ducks do <gasps> have ducks penises. Ducks do have penises. Ducks have creepy penises. They're scary. Yeah. That's why I remember them. <laughs> I also learned that duck penises can be longer than the duck. So no. Like, it like curls up, it comes out during yeah. mating. So like they 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 saw they had there was a duck that was only like 40 centimeters long and it had a 43 centimeter long penis so pretty pretty interesting i guess i'll, I'll leave it that anyway so Very um, interesting so if you would ask me i'd be like well ducks have penises and ducks are birds so birds have penises but it is very rare for a bird to have a penis okay um, i feel like my worldview is more in line now i just don't only Maybe because I was so scarred by duck penises. I don't want to think about other bird penises. Well, you don't have to because only 3% of bird species have penises. Here's what's fascinating, that it's not zero or 100, right? Oh, no, no, this is going to get... That it's just 3%. It's going to get so, it's going to get so wild. You're not ready. You're not ready for what's about to happen. So... I am not. You're I'm not, not ready. I'm still reeling from three things back. And, and also being like, I had duck penis. Okay. So only 3% of birds have penises. So, but we know that evolutionarily they used to have penises because they oh. evolved. They evolved from. They evolved out. What? You're right. I wasn't ready. Okay. Keep going. So there's been a question of what happened to all the birds' penises. Why? <laughs> evolutionarily where are the penises where are they so um we know we know we have discovered i found a smithsonian um magazine article that i will also link to we have discovered the genetic answer to what happened to the penises Ooh. there is um a all the all birds still have the genetic capability to produce a penis but there is cell death that occurs because of a chemical signal during embryonic, like during embryonic growth that causes cell death to kill off the cells that would create a penis. And scientists have been able to artificially block that chemical signal to trigger that cell death, the, to block the chemical that does trigger the cell death in order to produce chickens with fully formed penises. And they have also reversed the Sorry, process. I'm so tickled that there's a lab somewhere where we're like, we will make these chickens have penises. <laughs> they have also reversed the process to block the signal in ducks and produce ducks that do not have penises. That's amazing. So it's just genetically, it's something that you can tick on or off yes. in that way. And for 97% of bird species, evolution has told so them. Evolutionarily, it is not good to have a penis. So is what I'm hearing. That is that is what 97% of bird species have determined at some point, right? Um, and ducks. But what about ducks? Not ducks, though. Have Why you not? ever watched ducks mate? No. It is. It's it's incredibly violent. Like the they they like rip the feathers off the back of the female duck. She's often trying to throw them off. Like it is terrible to watch. Which I'm only telling you because. So they they came up with some theories, right? They were like, why would these? Why would this happen? Why would they evolutionarily not have penises? So they were like, maybe it's to prevent STDs. That you know a penis causes more STDs to come than just what they have instead is basically just like a hole that has to be placed together. So that like um during reproduction to deliver the sperm right 
And so that maybe without a penis to go in and out of that hole, you would have fewer STD transmissions. But then they didn't find any link for that. So that they were like, yeah, that's probably not it. And then they were like, well, maybe they're too heavy. And they got rid of them because they need to fly. But ducks fly all the time and they have very long penises. So that doesn't seem to be it either. So it's just like some aerodynamic Phelpsian like thing. Like we need to go fast. No penis. Not it. Not it. The prevailing theory, according to the people in this radio lab podcast called The Beauty Puzzle, is that it was about female choice against males being able to control reproduction because a penis, especially the type of penis that ducks have, which makes us think that, that would be the type of penis that a lot of birds would have had had this genetic code been turned on, is particularly good at violent sex, at like unwanted come up and inseminate this female against her will. Um, And we we have seen this in other species. So uh, male bedbugs in particular have very violent sexual habits. So they stab the female bedbug directly in the abdomen to inseminate her. And sometimes they mess up and stab other males and it it actually kills them. And so like the female bedbug is left with like an open wound whenever there's reproduction and it's really dangerous for her. Like it can cause infection. Like, so the act of reproduction is very dangerous for the female bedbug because of the delivery method for the sperm into the abdomen. And um, that it's called traumatic insemination and it's not just in bedbugs. And there's a scholarly debate about why that would have had evolutionary development. Like why would some animals have traumatic insemination versus more gentler ways to um, inseminate. And so um, this is hard to prove. This is not, this is not proven, but and one of the reasons that it's hard to prove is because penises don't have bones. So they're soft tissue, so they don't fossilize. So we can't look back at the fossil record to see like when this happened or how habits changed around it. But the evidence suggests that in birds, the female preferences for mating have changed male birds over time. And it's not just in their um, not having penises. It's also in the way that they look. So like instead of thinking of female birds being demure so that they can protect their babies, probably a more accurate way to think of it is, is the male birds that best matched the female birds aesthetic choices were the ones who were most likely to mate. So basically birds are female bird art Uh, over time. uh. So like, for instance, there's a species of bird that like the females will only mate with the males that are a particular shade of blue and the males that aren't that shade of blue just don't get they don't get to have any babies. And so like there's more and more and more of that particular shade of blue because that is what the females are choosing. Um, There's also a bowerbird that has to build these like tall towers in order to attract. But if you look at the way that the the mating thing, because then they like do these little dances and they bring each other little trinkets. The way that the bower is constructed is so that if the male were to try to come up and mate with the female, she can always just fly away. And so she has basically forced the bowerbird to create a tower to protect her from unwanted sex until she has chosen to allow for the sex. I mean, if we're refiguring things we learned as children and how now it's the inverse of what you were taught as the bird to hide yourself, that could have vast implications for Rapunzel stories. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just thinking. She gets to choose who climbs her hair, maybe. 
Like maybe it's about reproductive choice, man. No, <laughs> I don't think I can sell that. That's amazing. Right? A Rapunzel story that is about yeah. reproductive choice for sure. Yeah. So, um, and then, so a lot of people are like, oh, but this isn't, that's not survival of the fittest. That's not Darwinian. Um, so in this uh, podcast. Hello, get a wheelchair. It's just not male survival of the fittest, right? And Darwin did say this. They, it's just kind of been erased from history. So they went back and they found a quote from Darwin that said that like stripes and dots, he was describing like different, different physical features on animals have quote, all been indirectly gained through the influence of love, jealousy, through the appreciation of the beautiful and through the appreciation of a choice. So the, like, basically the way that, including humans, probably the way that we look is representative of reproductive choices that have been made along the way. It, in that isn't always about fit. That is also about just like aesthetics and, um, yeah. and beauty and, it's not elite it's elite <laughs> and for the vast majority of birds that probably included losing their penises because the female birds were like no thank you no Don't thank you that. to this violent unwanted sex i would i am only going to take gentle sex on my own terms i love that i love that thank you for that journey my mind is explode, explode, explode. It's amazing. And I love it. And oh man, I'm putting that in my back pocket to tell everyone. I love fun animal facts. And that's the most fun I've ever heard. That beats hyena clitorises for me. <laughs> yeah, that was I still love it. Yeah. I have, I have talked about duck penises to more people than, um, probably most people do. I would, I would say, <laughs> especially if you count our whole audience here, I feel like, yeah, yeah, you're really getting the word out on, but I mean, <laughs> I do love how that links up with you being saved, your life being saved by a duck later yeah, on. Yeah. Which a was female duck to us here. Female oh, duck yeah. was the victim of many many a violent interactions poor Missy. probably yeah during which you learned about the duck penises yeah. Yeah. yeah so exactly i like the i mean that was a research thing that you wouldn't drop i like that we both like that in each other yeah. that you're like i'm going to find this I podcast i heard four years ago i will do this i will not drop it i yeah that's i think that's nice that we both like that in each other yeah i mean that's is very evident in the fact that, I mean, we're 50 episodes into this thing that is a time-consuming commitment yeah. for no gain that the world has told us we should be after, right? Like, right. yeah, plenty of gain for us, but but none of the things that we've been told we should be chasing are represented in that effort. But it, but it fulfills our need to create like i yeah yes. so well so i know i texted you when this happened but i couldn't fit it all in the oh. text in a way that would make sense um i was listening to uh the 60 songs that describe the 90s podcast that's now it was the, it was the 100th episode did you listen to it by any chance no i haven't oh my you've got to listen to it it is so it's just so sweet 
Um, so the guy who does that, Rob, Rob Hervilla. Um, so Rob is, you know, it's it's his 100th episode. So it's nice that like he was doing that as a, a kind of, you know, um, reflection on all the work that he has done on his passion project. So it's a nice little tidbit to throw in here as well. And so if we talked about it on this podcast, but it's a, it is a podcast where he takes one song from the nineties and then like goes into these really personal stories and then also a bunch of research into it. It's just a really nice little explanation of how that song represents something important. And in this one, he opens up with songs from the late seventies and early eighties, because it was the song that, that his parents would be listening to when he was supposed to be in bed, when he was like seven through 10 years old. And he was talking about how, and it, it hit me really well because I have a very sensitive seven-year-old boy who like will very much self-police. Like there'll be a cartoon that is not even creepy. He'll be like, this is going to give me nightmares and just walk out of the room, right? Um, and so Rob was talking about how he would go and look at the- <laughs> also, also, as we know, with with Hal's, Hal's Kitchen, as we learned about Hal's that Kitchen, child, yes. <laughs> Didn't want it to be Hell's Kitchen. <laughs> So he, uh, Rob would go to the Walmart when the Walmart still rented VHSs and go and look at the horror section and give himself nightmares from just seeing the covers of the horror movies. <laughs> and so he's talking about how he was, he would lay in bed and his parents would be playing Hubert downstairs, listening to albums and so he would be laying upstairs terrified because as soon as his parents decided to go to bed, he was sure the monsters were going to come and eat him. So he would be listening and he would be like, when they would get to the last song on the B side of an album, it would be the most terrifying thing in the world oh. because that might be the chance that they're going to go to bed. And so he was going through all of these songs from the late seventies and early eighties that were the representations of his deepest fears because they were the last song on the B side of his parents albums <laughs> and it was just so sweet and in doing that I was like but I knew that it was they might be giants because like it tells you the title when you click on it, I'm like what is where is this going but I trusted him enough to just take the ride and um so then he starts playing little birdhouse in your soul he's like what I really needed was a nightlight and then he plays little birdhouse in your soul and then he says and he's like look I've said it kind of jokingly and I've kind of laughed it off. And he's like, and I went and did a, a deep Google search to see how many times I mentioned they might be giants. And it's been like 20 times on this podcast. He's like, but I'm here to tell you today that 90% of my personality is made up from they might be giants. Like they are my favorite. They are my favorite band. Like, and it was just so like, it was so sincere, but also just the fact that he felt like he kind of had to defend it. And so then, and I have not, I actually, I haven't finished listening to the entire episode because there's a, the interview part I still need to listen to, but I listened to his part of the whole thing. And he was going on about how, um, when he first heard them, it was the, the triangle man song. Yes. And, and so then he was like, you know, it sounds so silly, but he's like, but if you really think about it, he's like, is that science? Is that science? versus God with man stuck in between? Because I think it is. And like, yeah. and um, just, he, and then he was talking about having read this book that had the, cause the Johns, John and John are the two members of They Might Be Giants talking about how they, they went to high school together and then they went separately to college and then came back together afterwards and then started They Might Be Giants. And how they were playing all these really, really nerdy songs, 
Um, and people kept talking about how quirky they were or how geeky they were. And for a while, they, were, they didn't really know how to handle that image. Because even though they, but they weren't like Weird Al, right? They weren't like, yeah, they, they weren't trying to be funny, haha, you know, like some of the songs were funny, but they were mostly just really reflective and strange and smart. And they were talking about how the it hardest- wasn't like a gimmick, right? Yeah. Like Weird Al has a gimmick. It's, it's a novelty song. As much as anyone, and I know someone is listening to this right now who is a big Weird Al defender, and I apologize for calling him a novelty artist, I'll get yelled at, but you know what I mean. It is. It's parody and novelty, but they may be trying to start novelty, and yet they do get put into that camp a lot. I don't think Weird Al would have a problem with that identity because it is, uh, I mean, I think about like the Weird Al show, right? Like it was captured and marketed and yeah. it was a fantastic show. That show is so good. Sorry, I'm just thinking about the Weird Al show now. Kind of lost Me too. It. Harvey the Wonder Hamster? I was just, I, I was like, there's a hamster, that. right? Yeah. And then, yes. Harvey. Yep. yep. He doesn't bite and he doesn't squeal. He just runs around on his hamster, hamster wheel. Man, I totally forgot Harvey about that. I only ever watched that at your house. I don't know. It, it didn't exist at my house. I couldn't. It was on. Because it. it wasn't on cable. It was yeah. just like basic. Is deeply embedded with like your house and that couch that you. So the Johns met. Um, in high school and then came back together in college and then so they were talking about how like the hardest part was that all of their audience was cooler than they were and they didn't know how to like handle that dynamic and it was just so endearing and then here's Rob talking about how he credits them with 90% of his personality as a music he's just like they're it and what he was talking about was like how beautiful it is that these two found each other to do this weird stuff together. And I was I was on a long walk while I was listening to it and I started tearing up because I was like, oh, that's Catherine. We just found each other and do weird things together. And it's wonderful. And so I really feel bad for anybody who doesn't have someone to do their weird stuff with. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad you told me that in person because yeah, I got the text, but that was nice to hear too. Yeah, it was yeah. really nice. I agree. I'm so happy I get to be weird with you. Okay. Well, that means, so we have done your favorite of mine, which is my favorite of mine. My favorite of yours is when you asked me what percentages of birds have penises. There are many favorites, but oh, that was, that was just, yeah, that hit all the spots. So what, Michelle, is your favorite moment of yours? So I was going back through them and it was really hard to pick because not because I'm like, oh, I have so many great moments, but I was like, well, what is the criteria here? And I was like, is it, is it how I felt about it when I found it? Is it how it ended up fitting into the whole episode? Is it your reaction to it? Because if so, I really loved your reaction to the, um, when I showed you combat juggling for the first time, yeah, that, that would be, I mean, you were just so delighted that it was oh. just, I will never think about combat juggling without thinking about how delighted you were. And it so was amazing. Just- and I, I will say when I was asking my spouse, what, what's the favorites just to get a feel that was his favorite of yours was combat juggling. Absolutely. Um. So speaking of juggling though, I ended up picking this one. Yes. <laughs> Acrobat by Duncan Wall. 
So I can see why maybe you're the only one who has discovered this connection. <laughs> well, now the world can know. So my weird thing, so spoiler, like all three of my things are really kind of pop culture things, but I'm going to make them fit into the categories. Let's so go. Just, just a quick shout out. I'm, I've been reading this book so slowly, but it's just because like I have all this other stuff I have to read, but I'm really enjoying it. It is a book called The Ordinary Acrobat by Duncan Wall. And it is about a guy who decides to try to join like the really, really robust, um, the really competitive circus, like in, I think he's in Paris where like they take this very seriously, right? Like they only take like, I don't know, 1% of their applicants. And so he's on their like, um, I, I can't remember what they call it, but basically like their homegrown team where like people can come and take classes there. And most of them are in the hopes that they will eventually work their way up into their like elite competitive area. Um, but they're basically, they kind of let him in for journalistic purposes. He has no training as an acrobat. <laughs> And so it's, it's kind of, it's like part memoir of his experiences of trying to become an acrobat and then part history of the circus. And it's just a really interesting read. Uh, I really love that kind of, um, like I did my dissertation on alt dis, which is the connection between like people telling their personal stories and then like doing some sort of academic research. So I would actually put this in that vein, though I doubt that this man was like I doubt that was how that's how he would classify himself but that kind of like back and forth between like here's my personal story and all these emotional reflections here's this hard-hitting research and all of my millions of sources and like kind of bouncing back and forth between them I just enjoy that as a yeah way to express information but so my weird thing comes from this book and it is about juggling and so he has this in fact, I haven't even finished the section on juggling, but this fact comes out of that section on juggling. And um, it's particularly, it's about how difficult it is for jugglers because audiences can't appreciate their expertise because doing juggling well requires such a refined ability to see what is hard and what isn't. So like a lot of jugglers are just sad all the time because like <sighs> their audiences just want like, what the audiences want them to do is not actually skillful work. And so they're like, fine, we're gonna go do the Vegas show or whatever. But they but they like they only get to be like really appreciated by other jugglers who are like, oh my gosh, that really detailed thing you did was really, you know, amazing. But their like their audiences don't ever really appreciate that. And so my specific weird thing is that um, a man named Paul Sink Valley, I think I'm hoping I've got that right, performed for a king and queen and um, spent nine years learning how to catch an egg without breaking it. Nine years, nine, nine years. years, dedicated practice. And the audience was so unimpressed by it that he had to drop it from his act after he spent nine oh, years. And so um, this author of the book, Duncan Wall, is, is exploring how like this is true of a lot of circus arts that like the technical precision of it is not always appreciated by the audiences. Um, but he says that a lot of other circus acts have secondary pleasures, as he calls them, of either danger or majesty. But jugglers really don't have that. Like 
jugglers and and people we just there's a cognitive inability to understand how many items are in the air after so many so like once we hit like the number it's just it's disputed which it is but somewhere between five and seven our brains just are like well there's a lot of things in there <laughs> so like you could have seven or you could have 90 that sure is a lot like <laughs> so there's so just like no real payoff after that to learn to keep Oh, so that that's my weird thing is the the plight that, of jugglers in trying to get people to appreciate the difficulty of what they are doing. They're and I, I picked that as my favorite just because I ended up going with the criteria of like, I think about it a lot. Like I like it has come back up in my life a lot. The man who spent nine years trying to perfect this thing that he ended up having to drop from his act because nobody appreciated it even though it was one of the hardest things he'd ever done um that audiences can't discern between a little a lot and a lot a lot and just I, I don't know I feel like it's a metaphor that has served me well in my experiences yeah I feel a little upset right now because I'm like oh we had a chance for doubles I, that I think about so much and it's become so embedded in my life as like a thing, or if I'm worried about how other people are perceiving me, which is like all the time. And then I, it's a way, you know, it's a way of being like other people aren't thinking about you, but just being like, it's the juggling thing. And there's only so much we can perceive. And that's not even one takeaway from it, but I always think about it. This is to say, and I think about it so much. I forgot that that was a weird thing from you. That it's just become so embedded in my life that it's just this thing that has no origin anymore. And so I think I absolutely would have chosen that as my thing. But I did not remember that was from this podcast. Look at how enriching this is to this our life. from on high. It's knowledge of juggling. Yes. Yes. Oh, I think about that all the time. Yeah. I don't think we need to tie these up into a new thing. I think we can just oh, appreciate and bask yeah, in our we can just appreciate what what we have brought forth with this just yeah. energy and need. And I really love that we saw a problem in our like, oh, this is we want to keep talking to each other, but it's hard. And instead of being like, oh, we'll just let this drift or maybe it'll be better later. We were like, no, we're going to fix it and we're going to fix it by crafting the parameters that we need to make it work and we did and it is and I just really love it you called it forth I still remember exactly where I was on our walk and talk when you're like do you want to do a podcast I'm like I am dying to <laughs> I am so glad you asked and yeah it took us like five minutes to, you were like this is what I'm thinking this is the structure and I can't believe how well that structure holds up for 50 episodes and it doesn't it holds up but it doesn't get too repetitive and you came up with that like bam I'm just gonna so ride impressed. it into the sunset on whatever the dates were that I have already forgotten again well thank you everyone who listens yes thank, thank you, you Michelle most of all because thank you Catherine and soon we'll be doing it in the same country for at least two one or two episodes because I'm coming to see you in the U.S. You're going to see Rocky Horror Picture Show. We are in our hometown, it's which I know you so all don't weird. understand. Some of you understand, but it's a big deal for me. There's like a little 15 year old inside of me that like 
feels like something cosmic might happen in that moment of it. <laughs> just a portal is going to open <laughs> or or that's when we just got to yell goo goo gajoo at the right moment and raise the what dead. will we bring to life what will we bring to life that makes me go like is tim curry still alive he is he is yeah. right he, he is. has health issues but he's still alive Goo 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 joop to Tim Curry. Goo 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 joop. Goo 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 joop. Goo goo joop. Tim Curry. Don't die. Um, yeah. That's, I mean, yeah. I don't, I just thank you and I'm happy and yay. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for being my weird person. Yeah. Thanks for being my weird person. My John. Oh. 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 Yeah. Oh, it was just like a little <laughs> love letter to ourselves. Yeah. Everybody should no, do I- that. Absolutely. Go write a love letter to yourself and the things you love to do. That's your fortune cookie.